All right. This is good. Ha- happy October, everybody. If you didn't realize, today is uh, October the 1st. So now it's okay to get pumpkins on your porch. Now it is. Before today, and I don't want to talk about Christmas just yet. We're not quite there just yet. I know you guys want to play Christmas music already. Let's just wait a little bit, at least get you to November. Uh, but here we are in October, and uh, we are ready to finish up 2 Peter chapter 3 uh, this morning. So open up your Bibles and turn there if you would. If my, if my count is right, this will be the 13th message just here out of 2 Peter, which is uh, far better than 1 Peter, which took almost 50 messages. So I'm improving. Uh, for those of you who think that's improvement, for those of you who don't, uh, this is where we're at. But whenever I come to an end of a book, I, I, always, <laughs> I always start to get a little um, discouraged because I'm like, I don't want to stop. And after 1 Peter, it was easy. I was like, we're just going into 2 Peter and we get, get a little bit more. But now we're coming to the end here and uh, we will, in a couple weeks, start up something new. You like that? Something new. That's all I'm giving you. Something new uh, that is not First or Second Peter. Um, but this morning, we are going to endeavor to finish uh, this last section, uh, focusing on the very last verse of this, of this incredible letter. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Second uh, Peter 3, 14 to 18, and then we'll dial in uh, closely into verse 18. This is what it says. Read along with me. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in all of these these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do ask for your help in understanding hard things and helping us to apply the simple things. In all of it, Lord, we cannot possibly obey you apart from the work of the Spirit in our life. And so we depend on him this morning for knowledge, for understanding and to be able to walk in obedience. Help us, O Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, pretty much every week, if you have uh, one of those iPhone-type things, and there's a new one coming out for those of you who care, uh, what pops up on your screen is these memories uh, from years past or years before. And I, uh, a memory popped up there, and I, and I clicked on the memory, and, and the first thing I noticed in that memory was that I was the tallest in the family. I thought to myself, wow, there was a time when my two boys were not taller than me. And I thought that was a wonderful era of my life when I reigned above uh, my children. Uh, Looking forward now, those of you who know uh, two of my three boys are both taller than I am because they have grown past me. 
And it's true, uh, when, you, when you see them, you go, oh, wow, they have grown. Or, or maybe over the years, people have said to you, especially children, oh, wow, I haven't seen you in three or four years, and you have grown. Now, if they're telling you you have grown now when you've stopped growing this way, that may be an issue because you've maybe grown out this way. We don't want to talk about the, the horizontal growth. We want to talk about the vertical growth. Sometimes friends will come over and they'll say, wow, your kids have grown. Sometimes they'll be a couple, couple of years later and they'll say, wow, look at the growth you have. This is also true for us spiritually. Spiritually speaking, we have and should be continually growing. Maybe it is that people see growth in you after a few months. Maybe it is that see growth in you after a couple of years. Maybe it is that friends that you have not seen come back into town and they say, wow, I see growth in you could be because of the way you respond in conversation. It could be in the way that you serve in the church. It could be that you are more patient. You have more courage. You, you lead in the home. You don't do uh, and practice certain sins, but it is evident to people that there is growth. Now, unlike, spiritual, unlike physical growth, where there is a, a cap to physical growth, there is no cap to spiritual growth. You just keep on growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me just rattle off some verses for you to help us understand this. In 1 Timothy 6.11, it says this, that you are pursuing righteousness. In Romans 12.1, it says that you are being transformed. In 2 Corinthians 7.11, it says that you are perfecting holiness. In Philippians 4.13, it says that you are pressing on toward the goal. In Colossians 2, 7, it says being built up in the faith. And if you notice, this is, these are continual verbs that, that, that give us the idea that this is a lifelong process. You're pursuing, you're being, you're perfecting, you're, you're pressing, you're, you're being built up. There's never a moment when a Christian has arrived spiritually where they reach some form of sainthood or priesthood. No one ever arrives to that point. We are all on a path that is, that is making its way towards becoming like our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is growth in godliness. This is sanctification. This is a process. Much like the stock market, you'll find it go up and down and up and down, but there's obviously a, a gradual increase over time. That's similar to the Christian life. We know this too. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know this, that, that growth is often frustrating. <laughs> at least you should feel frustrated at times in your spiritual growth. If you're not frustrated, then you're not thinking about it enough. Because we should feel a sense that we, that we want to grow more. We want to grow faster. We keep getting caught up in some of the sins that so, that so easily entangle us, and so it becomes frustrating at times for us to grow spiritually. As we jump into this verse right here, verse 18, Peter gives us a command right here to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that this growth is continual, knowing that this growth is lifelong, knowing that you will never reach a point that you are fully spiritually mature until you are glorified. 
But then he ends out this entire section and this entire letter with this doxology where we are to give God the glory for any growth that we have. From now into eternity. Before you jump into this, though, it is an important exhortation here that I want to give to those of you maybe that are sitting here who have never experienced the grace of God in salvation. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, what in the world are you talking about, growth and grace? I don't even know what it means to be a Christian. And we're talking about two different things here, just so that, that you understand. Maybe you, maybe you walked into to church today, or maybe a friend brought you to church, or, or maybe your parents brought you to church today, and you don't even know what it means to be a Christian. I, I just want to stop and hit the pause button for a second and say to you this, before you can experience growth in grace, you must first commit your life to Jesus Christ. That you must first place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that there needs to be a moment by which you were moved from darkness and into light, where, where you confess Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And once you do that, you become a child of the living God, and you are on a process by which you become like your Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is what he's talking about here. He, he's addressing the believer He's saying this, that, that you need to continue to grow in grace. You need to continue to, to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why does he say that? Well, he says that because of what was said right before in the section right before, starting in verse 14. He says that you need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that you do not, as it says right at the end of verse 17, lose your own stability so that you do not fall away. This entire section here, all of chapter three, is about the return of Jesus Christ. If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, then we've been talking about the day of the Lord when Jesus Christ will return. It's not if he will return, it's when he will return. And the question we have for us from two weeks ago was this, are you ready for Jesus to return? Are you ready for that day when he will come like a thief in the night, totally unexpected, and are you ready for that day? And then last week we talked about, as it says in verse, in verse 14, beloved, since you are waiting, since we are waiting for Christ, there is a responsibility of the believer and how they are to wait. And we talked about what that would look like. How are we to wait? What are the things that we are to practice? And it says this word, these words, to be diligent to be constantly pursuing these things, passionately pursuing these things, meaning this, that there is no spiritual retirement. Again, nobody reaches a point where they can say, I'm taking the rest of my life off spiritually. I'm just gonna sit on my couch and wait for Jesus to return. I'm just gonna not serve in the church. I'm not gonna give. I'm not gonna practice the one another's. I'm good. I have Christ in my heart. Now I just get to enjoy life and just kind of just kind of cruise off into heaven. No, you don't get to do that, Christian. You don't get to do that, believer. You have a responsibility here, and it's found in this one word to be diligent. To pursue what? To be diligent to what? To be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So the first practice 
for the unbeliever while we wait is this. While you wait for Christ, be diligent to pursue godliness. This is the responsibility you have to do so in purity, in peace, and in proclamation. And then secondly is this. We talked about this last week. While we wait for Christ, be discerning so as not to be deceived. So now we understand this. As the Lord uh, reaches the point when he will come back during this time while we wait, more false teachers will rise up, more will deceive, more will try to pull you away, more will try you to think that, try to get you to believe that Jesus is not going to return, and there will be an uprising of more and more and more false teachers. And because of that, he says to us, verse 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, now that you know this, Look what it says, take care that you are not carried away by the error of lawless people. Take care that you do not follow the way of the false prophet and the false teacher. And in this, you sense and feel this pastoral tone, this encouragement, as he says, beloved. It's as if he he draws you in with this reminder that, that Peter loves these people so much, he's giving them a fair warning. And then he says, take care, be careful. There are people out there who want to pull you away from Christ. So take care that you're not carried away with the air of lawless people, and so you do not lose your own stability. And then he gives us, church, the antidote to not being carried away. What's the antidote to not being carried away? It is this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you want a firm foundation until Jesus Christ returns, you must continue in the process of growing in grace and knowledge. John Piper says this, the antidote to deception and destruction is growth and grace. The knowledge of Christ, the contrast between 2 Peter 3.17 and 2 Peter 3.18 is between, on the one hand, a tree that does not grow and so loses its stability in the earth, and is blown over by a wind of false teaching and dies. And on the other hand, a tree which keeps its roots planted in God's grace and so grows and stays healthy and stable and does not get blown over by false teaching. This is the context by which we understand that we are to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the third practice then for the believer while we wait for Jesus to return is this. While you wait for Christ, be developing your grace and knowledge of Christ. But what exactly does that mean? That's the question. What does that exactly mean? So what I want to do, and hopefully you've got something to write with, because I've got some incredible outlines here for you to take because we want to fill we want to figure this out 
And this is the last time I'm in 2 Peter, so you better believe we are going to get the most out of this verse. We're going to squeeze this thing. The juices are going to run out of this verse. What does this mean? To grow, but grow. Simple. It's to increase. The word here is a present imperative. It is a command. In other words, church, this is not optional for you. This is not optional. You don't get to decide, hey, I'm just not going to grow. I'm just not going to act like a Christian. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. No, this is not optional. This is a present imperative, a command that calls for the believer to continually and passionately pursue grace and knowledge. This is what we're called to do. In fact, go back, if you just flip back one page in my Bible, if you go back to 2 Peter chapter 1 in verse 2, this was bookended by Peter. He starts out with the grace of God, uh, verse 2, chapter 1. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he ends it, but grow in the grace. And so you've got these bookended kind of understanding of what Peter really wants us to understand. What he's really going for here. He understands the necessity of growing. Because if we're not growing, we're in danger of being carried away by the air that results in further spiritual instability. And when we're, when we're pulled away and, and we're not growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, then that, that, would, that would prove in our life for us to be ineffective as Christians. It's like this. It's like riding a bike. You have to keep pedaling, right? And you can stop pedaling if you want, and you'll keep cruising for a while. But eventually, if you don't keep pedaling, you will fall over, especially in the midst of a hill and going uphill in the midst of a trial, in the midst of a difficulty. Think of that as an uphill. You've got to pedal even harder and even stronger lest you stop pedaling and fall over or lose your stability. That, that's the mindset that's here. Never stop growing. Never think you've arrived. Oftentimes in Christians, you can see a lot of growth, and oftentimes in Christians, you can see little growth over time. Peter wants to make sure that you're reminded of this diligent call to grow. Let me give you an illustration of this. A teacher with 20 years' experience was passed over for a promotion. Going to the administrator, she demanded, why did you choose that new person who had only four years of experience at this job? When I have 20 years of experience, the man answered, because you do not have 20 years of experience, you have one year of experience 20 times. You're still teaching the same things in the same way as you did when you were first hired. You haven't grown in the job. The knowledge of Christ's love for us should cause us to love him in such a way that it is demonstrated in our attitude, conduct, and commitment to serve God. Spiritual maturity is marked by spiritual knowledge being put into action. And this is my fear, church, is that some of you 
have lived this Christian life for one year and you're just multiplying that same year over and over and over and over again. That you aren't actually growing in grace and knowledge, but you're just duplicating that first year of growth that you had in your Christian life. And we have to think that that's not okay for us to just keep duplicating that same year over and over again without growth and knowledge and growth and grace. In fact, it should be this. The most gracious people in the church should be the Christians who have been saved the longest. They should be massaged in grace. They've experienced grace longer than the rest of us have. They've been Christians longer, and so they understand grace in a deeper and greater way that they haven't just been multiplying one year of grace over and over again, but they've been soaking in grace so much that they can't help but be gracious. Each and every day, they're recognizing more and more and more grace of God, and the maturity of that believer should just overflow in grace to others. Even more so than a young believer. A mature believer would be the one where people would say, look how gracious that person is. They bite their tongue. They forgive quickly. They're patient. They're more loving. They look like Christ. Why? Because they've had years and years and years and years and years of grace being poured into them by God. Thomas Schreiner says this, he says, grace is the foundation of the lives of believers and is entirely God's gift. And yet believers are exhorted to grow in it, to be nurtured in it, to be strengthened by it. Grace is not a static reality. Believers are to grow in it until the day they die. Otherwise, they might be carried away by the lawlessness of false teachers. Let's spend some time talking about this word grace because this is what we're to grow in. The word grace, oftentimes the word's grace, and when you immediately think of grace, for those of you who have been in the church, you understand it, mean it in the words of unmerited favor, the unmerited favor of God, right? We think grace, we think unmerited favor of God. When God's given us his favor, in Genesis 6, 8, it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace can also be taken as another word for beauty. As when we say something like this, that person is graceful. You can see it on their face. You can see it on, on the way that they, ha they, they act and the, the way that they behave. There's, a, there's a, a graciousness about them, a beauty about them that's unexplainable apart from the grace of God. Thomas Watson's helpful in helping us understand what the word for grace here in our context means. He says this, Grace is the infusion of a new and holy principle into the heart, whereby it is changed from what it was and is made after God's own heart. Hey, listen closely. Grace does not make a moral change only, but a sacred one. It favors the soul heavenward and stamps upon it the image of God. 
When someone grows in grace, that doesn't mean that they're just tacking on morality on the outside. Alistair Begg says something like this in the way that he helps to describe it. He says, it's not like a Christmas tree where you just hang an ornament of love, you hang an ornament of forgiveness, you hang some some tinsel of patience, and, and you wrap the whole thing all the way around with these lights of mercy, and you have all these things tacked on the outside when the tree itself is dying because it is not drinking from the, the waters of the grace of Jesus Christ. And over time, what happens? All this beauty is just wrapped around a dead tree. And so when he's talking about grace, we're not talking about, oh, I just need to tack on more love today. I just need to wake up and just tack on some patience today. No, to grow in grace is actually a transformation from the inside out. It's infused in the heart. A transformation of the heart. A sacred change. From a person who once was and now is someone who is made after God's own heart. And growing in grace is an inward change that eventually manifests, manifests itself in Christ likeness. And you don't do it for the shine, you don't do it for the attention. You don't say to yourself, hey, I'm going to walk into this room and, and watch me just. Just be the best Christian here, and I'm just going to show them what it means to love. I'm just going to show them what it means to be forgiving, and and I'm going to do it because I need people to see how bright and shiny I am as a Christian. No, you do it as it says here, what? To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. You do it for the glory of God. You don't want the shine. You don't want the attention. In fact, what grace says is, God, you get the glory. You're the one who transformed my heart. You're the one who saved me. You're the one who sanctified me. And if anybody sees anything good in me, I immediately just give that back to God and say, to God be the glory. That's not me. That's Christ within me. That's growing in grace. That's the command that he gives to us. Yes, we become loving. Yes, we become forgiving and we become kind and truth-tellers and honest and gentle and patient, and we do all these things that the fruit of the Spirit calls for us to do, but it's because of an inward growth, an inward change that manifests itself outwardly. Thomas Watson goes on to say this in regards to what grace is, and if you've got something to write these down, this is, a, this is great to write these things down, and just to help us kind of wrap our minds around this word grace. And let me tell you guys, this was so, so helpful for me this week as I was studying this and pouring into this, he says this, grace has a soul-adoring excellency. A soul-adoring excellency. What does that mean? It means this, that grace puts a beauty and luster upon a person. If you remember in First uh, Peter 3, when Peter talks about uh, the external uh, braiding of the hair, the putting on of gold and jewelry, putting on the the gold that you wear. And then he says this, but let your adorning be of the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is what? Precious in the sight of God. And this is what grace does. 
Grace has a, a soul that is made into the image of God. Thomas Watson says it's meticulously drawn with the pencil of the Holy Spirit. A heart beautified with grace is the angel's joy. And nothing so graces a man as grace does. Grace is the purest complexion of the soul, for it makes it like God. An adorning excellency. You just look at the person and you know this. They're filled with the grace of God in their life. Number two is this. He says this, that grace has a soul-cleansing excellency. By nature, we're defiled. Sin makes us filthy. A sinner's heart is so black that nothing but hell can equal it. But grace is the spiritual laver, and therefore it is called the washing of regeneration in Titus 3.5. It is grace that, that washes the sin out from our life as we recognize that Jesus Christ paid it all as we sang about. Grace whitens the soul, he says. Number three, grace has a soul-strengthening excellency. Grace teaches us to mortify our sins, to love our enemies, and to prefer the glory of Christ before our own lives. Grace infuses within us a heroic spirit of courage. We can talk with boldness. Why? Because the grace of God is upon our life and he, God is going to show us mercy and grace that we don't deserve. And so we can go out with boldness and courage because we have the grace of God upon our life. It infuses with us the strength and heroic spirit that drives us into obedience to God. Number four, grace has a perfuming excellency. A perfuming excellency. Grace makes us a sweet fragrance to God and man. Right? You just, you just want to be around that person. You don't even know why. Like that person, I just, they just smell good. I mean, right? I mean, they just have something attractive to them. And by smell, I don't, I don't mean the, the perfume smell. I mean, they have, uh, they are giving off something that you're attracted to that you know comes straight from the heart of God. And you're drawn to that person. You can't help but be around them. That's what grace does makes a sweet fragrance to God and to man. And so Peter says this, that this is what we are to grow in. We grow in this grace. But not only grace, what else does he say? Grow in what? The knowledge of our Lord. Grow in the knowledge of our Lord. These two things are like a two-sided coin in the sense that to grow in grace, you must grow in your understanding of who Jesus Christ is. From the very beginning, from the first message that I said in, uh, here in Second uh, in Peter, is I said this, this book is about reading your Bible more. <laughs> this book is about getting into the Word of God. 
This letter is going to encourage you to study God's word even more and more and more so. Why? So that you would be ready, chapter 2, to understand what truth and error is and what a false teacher is and what a teacher of truth is, so that in chapter 3, you would be ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ, and while you wait for Jesus Christ to the return, you would continue to grow in grace. All that, all of those things that I just mentioned, it is necessary for you to be in the Word of God. We cannot think, hey, I'm going to grow in grace, but I don't need to be in the Bible. I'm going to grow in grace, but I don't need to study God's word. I'm going to grow in grace, but I actually don't need to be at church because I'm one of those guys that do well just with online stuff. I'm one of those ones that's kind of a self-studier. And I've got quite a bit of knowledge over the years. I've been saved for like mm, 40, 50 some years. And so church to me isn't for me. When, when the Bible only speaks of a believer and church always connected, there is not one, not one Church, not one believer in the New Testament who was not connected to the local church. The Apostle Paul, go down the list. Peter, every single one. Why? Because there are no maverick Christians. And if you think to yourself, I don't need the church, well, guess what? The church needs you. We need you. We need to hear you singing. We need to hear you shaking hands and making coffee, and, and we need you right here in the fellowship of one another. We need you, so let's start thinking about that. That's the believer. That's being gracious. That's growing in grace. And so, he says, grow in grace and grow in knowledge. We grow in knowledge of what? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's the pursuit. That's what sanctification is. We're going after Jesus Christ. We want to become like Jesus Christ. One person said this, the better you know Jesus in your heart, the more the world will see Jesus in your life. The better you know Jesus in your heart, the more the world will see Jesus in your life. So how do we do this? Let's get practical here. How do we grow spiritually? Let me give you 11 different ways for you to grow spiritually. Number one is this. Remove any hindrances and sin. All right, it's time to bring, bring out the tractor, the backhoe, and let's start digging, and let's start smoothing off those rough edges of the heart. Where's the sin? Where am I struggling in my life with sin? And we've got we've to start working the ground, tilling the ground there, tilling the heart examining the heart. What are the bad habits that I have? Where do I need to confess sin? Growth can't happen apart from this step. Secondly is this, and I just said it, so I'll just say it and move on. Uh, read your Bible. All right, this is devotions. Number three, find or create an accountability group of men or women. There are no maverick Christians. We need to be in discipleship. We need to have accountability. We need to, between uh, the end zones, Sunday and Sunday, we need people in our lives to keep us moving, to keep us growing. We need that accountability. Number four, I'll repeat myself here. Pray, pray, and keep praying, which means praying. All right? 
We've got to keep praying. Number five, serve the church. The church is designed for you to use your gifts. This is a way that you grow in grace and knowledge is by serving other people. Number six, give generously of your resources. Having an open hand, being willing to give of what the Lord has given to you and, you, and, and, and by which you're able to keep the, the ministry going. Number seven, take communion and be baptized. The ordinances of the church. Common grace. And taking communion and being baptized. Number eight, share your faith with unbelievers. This is evangelism. You grow in grace by sharing your faith with others. Number nine, practice the one another's of the Bible. This is just obedience to the Word of God, where we're not just hearers of the Word of God, but we're those who practice and obey the Word of God. Obedience breeds growth. Number 10, think less of self and more of Jesus. Think less of self and more of Jesus. That's humility. And then number 11 is this. Forgive one another. Forgive one another. Practice forgiving one another. These are all attributes of who Christ is. Forgiveness, humility. Where we become more and more like Jesus Christ. This is how we grow spiritually. Let me give you one more, one more thing here, and then we'll be done. Actually, a couple things, but I'm getting there to the end. A few more things here. How will you know if you're growing spiritually? Let me give you four things to know. Like, okay, this is good for me to know if I'm growing spiritually, okay? And J.C. Ryle's book on holiness uh, is where I got this information. Uh, it's not mine. I wish it was, but, but it's not, so that's okay. Uh, J.C. Ryle says this, Growth in grace is increased humility increased humility. So as we said, the how part, now this is a, a symbol of somebody who is growing in grace. They're growing in humility. He says, the man whose soul is growing feels, feels his own sinfulness and unworthiness more each year. The nearer he draws to God, the more he sees of God's holiness and perfections, and the more thoroughly he is sensible of his own countless imperfections. Number two, another sign of growth is this. Growth in grace is increased love towards our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Increased love. Your love for Jesus grows. He says a thousand things in Christ of which at first he never dreamed of. His love, his power, his heart, and his intentions, his sacrifices, offers of a substitute, shepherd of a friend, they unfold in a growing soul in an unspeakable manner. All these things about Christ just keep growing in your mind and it's more and more to love. Number three is this. Growth and grace is increased holiness. When we see victory over sin, you're more careful about your temper, your words, your actions. 
You're more watchful about the conduct of your life. You strive to be more and more conformed into the image of God. And you thirst and long for unity with God. To grow in grace is to grow in holiness. Let me give another one, number four. To grow in grace is increased spiritual mind. The man whose soul is growing, listen, takes more interest in spiritual things every year. Takes more interest in spiritual things every year. He doesn't neglect his duty in the world, but the things he loves best are spiritual things. He goes on, he says, the ways and amusements and recreation of the world have a continually decreasing place in his heart. That make sense? He doesn't condemn them as outright sinful, nor say that those things have anything to do with them going to hell. He only feels that they have a constantly diminishing hold of his own affections and gradually seem smaller and more trifling in his eyes. Spiritual things, spiritual conversation appear of increasing value to him, right? So there's this, this release of the, the joy and amusement of the world and an increased desire for spiritual things. How do you recognize that? The things that they talk about, the things that they're involved in, how they spend their time, their talent, their treasure, all of that plays into, I've got less of a grip on the world and a stronger hold of Jesus Christ. That's growth. And number five is this. Growth and grace is increase of kindness. I think he uses the word charity, but I felt like this is a better word for us to wrap our minds around. The man whose soul is growing is is more full of love each year. Love to all men, especially towards the brethren. His love will show itself actively in growing disposition to do kindness to take trouble for others, to be good-natured to everyone, to be gracious, sympathizing, thoughtful, tender-hearted, and considerate. He says this, there is no surer mark of backsliding and falling off in grace than an increasing disposition to find fault, pick holes, and see what weak points are in others. That person's falling away in grace. But the one who's growing in grace is growing in kindness, generosity, patience, tenderhearted, considerate. So those are ways that we can mark growth in ourselves and even growth in others. There's one more thing we need to do as we wait for Christ, though. Let me just finish off with this. I promise this is the end, okay? Number four is this. As you wait on Christ, Practice doxology until he returns. As you wait on Christ, practice doxology until he returns. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. As we grow in grace, we give God the glory. We sing praises. We read scripture. We talk about the Lord. We defer and deflect all growth back to Christ. That's what he's saying. To him be the glory. To God be the glory. 
both now, right now in this moment, and to the day of eternity. God gets the glory in all of it. And our response is this, oh, praise the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He deserves all the glory. We sang it our first song this morning, to God be the glory, great things he has done. At the end of 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says that the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is on the mind of Peter, that we would continually give God the glory. Everything goes back to him. We deserve none of it. God gets all of it. And so we, we in all that we do, and all that we say, every time we come together as a, as a church, all of it is not about us. All of it is about Jesus Christ. And we push you guys not back to yourself. We push you guys to Jesus Christ. Because he gets all the glory. And we continue to strive and be diligent to grow in all of these things. In the midst of growing in grace, there's also a lot of grace for us from God. We're going to fall, we're going to stumble, we're going to trip up, but the God of all grace is going to be there to restore you, confirm you, and bring you back so that you can continue to pursue Christ and live effectively here on earth. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for this challenge from your word to continue to grow in grace I, I do believe this is at the heart of a believer to want to grow in grace. And what gets in the way is not life. What gets in the way is not busyness. What gets in the way of growing is ourselves. We get in the way of growing. And so, Lord, help us to see the blind spots in our own life that are keeping us from removing hindrances removing sin that would allow new growth in our hearts. Allow us to see ways that, that we can be those who are more like Christ so that we can have the aroma of Christ in our life. So that when people see us, they would see Jesus Christ. When people see us, they would see humility. They would see kindness and they would be attracted not to us, but Christ within us. And then when asked, how is it that you do that? How is it that you're patient? How is it that you're forgiving? How, how is it that you were able to, to guard your tongue in that moment? How, how is it that you were to be patient? The response to that is, it's not I, it is Christ within me. And to him be the glory he gets all the glory, not just for salvation, but also for our sanctification. So Lord, again, as we prayed at the, the top of our time together, teach us these things. Help us to obey these things by your Spirit. Infuse these truths deep into our hearts for transformation. In Jesus' name, amen.